Hey there, thank you for being a part of our Big Time Talker podcast. We're everywhere now on Spotify, iHeartRadio, the Blog Talk Radio Network, Apple iTunes, wherever you can subscribe to podcasts. And sure to appreciate you being here today. I'm Burke Allen in Washington, D.C. And today, a cautionary tale about traveling out of the USA on your vacation, or maybe even uh, if you're thinking about leaving the country as an expat and living somewhere else, you might want to think again. Our show is brought to you by SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. Maybe you're a meeting planner and you know those in-person conferences are coming back. Maybe you're a platform speaker and you need to know where to go. You can find one another at the robust online platform at SpeakerMatch.com. Com. All right, let's get into it with our guest today, Janet Sanders, who has an amazing uh, and somewhat harrowing tale about living somewhere outside your comfort zone in a big way. Janet, thanks for being here today. You were a very successful businesswoman in the United States, decided to take some of those spoils and live in your dream house in Mexico. And then it went sideways. I want to hear that story. Well, hi, Burke, and thank you for having me. I am grateful and humbled. I've seen your body of work, so I, uh, I hope I can live up to the reputation that you've created. Well, and, you're very uh, kind. I'm just glad that you're living it all after this story. So, Man, you're... I'll tell you what, it could have for a while there, and you've been, through, you've been through this with me every step of the way. So, I mean, it, it, I know that you understand what I'm talking about here, but it was pretty hairy, and we didn't know if we were going to get out. And you... You talk about a, a 180 that I've ended up doing because, you know, if you look through my body of work over the last five years since I got down there, I was probably Mexico's biggest cheerleader. Right? I went down there and I saw the beauty and I, I saw the culture and I saw that blue, blue water and all that history. And you don't see that vicious underbelly. And part of the reason you don't see that vicious underbelly is because I now have firsthand experience on how corrupt Mexico is. They don't let it get to the top. They kill more journalists than anything. They don't report what's actually going on over there. So Americans like me are making decisions, life-altering decisions, to invest down in Mexico. And it's the worst thing you can do right now. You want to you, talk about uh, what happened? You had a business in Colorado for mm -hmm. a long time, and... Uh, and you decided that you wanted to move uh, to Mexico full time. But had you vacationed there through the years before this? You know, throughout my life, I've traveled all over the world. I've been lucky enough to travel all over the world. So the specific part we looked at in the Yucatan, I had never been there, although I'd been to Mexico and I love Mexico. But when I started researching the Yucatan, what I found was they reported it to be one of the safest places in the entire world for expats to go to. Well, that's just not true, right? That's the report they put out. And that's the, the marketing they put out. But that's just not true. So we had actually done our research. I researched for over a year before we settled on the Yucatan Peninsula. And we settled on it primarily because it was supposed to be safe. But the real criminals over there, it's not just the cartels you have to look out for. You have to look out for the police as well. And none of this gets reported. And that's kind of what happened to us. We ended up getting robbed by, by the police. And as such, we're fighting an uphill battle right now, making this route. So years ago, when we found the place, and I'm taking you back about five years right now, like I said, we looked and we looked and we looked and we found this spot. 
And we liked it. It was on the beach. We liked it. It was remote, just outside of a little tiny Mexican fishing village called Pelche Puerto. Only and 15 minutes. Had you looked into other countries before you settled on Mexico? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was looking at the Azores. I was looking at um, I was looking at St. Croix. I was looking at the British Virgin Islands. I even went down as far as look at American Samoa down there by New Zealand. I was looking at Fiji. I mean, I looked all over. We, this was not a this was not a blind leap of faith. This was a well thought out, well researched process that we went through. And the plan was always for you then uh, you had worked hard all your life to take the spoils of your career and you just wanted to live in a more tropical area full time. Well, was that the plan? Two things were going on. The company had reached a size where I could literally manage from behind a computer screen. So I could work anywhere that I wanted to. Not only that, by going to the Yucatan Peninsula, the flights back and forth into the States were really easy. The flight out of Merida to Yucatan was only an hour and a half out of Houston. I mean, it's really quick and easy. It was easier for me to fly back from uh, Merida than it was for me to fly from New York. Right? Shorter, easier day. So the traveling part wasn't really a hindrance. It was that close. And the company had gotten to a point where I could literally manage from behind a computer screen and make my trips back up to the States. I'd always wanted to live on the ocean. I'm a big time scuba diver. I wanted to live on the ocean. I worked hard my whole life. Right? So I was going to go spend some time on the beach. I'm going to go and actually, I was looking for a way to give back. You know, I, I, I've, been, I've been so blessed. And I've had so many things happen that were so good that I really just wanted to give back. And so we figured that would be the place where we would start. My husband is from Mexico originally, so he has dual citizenship. So that was the other thing that made it easier. We didn't have the language barrier because we both speak Spanish. Well, I speak Spanish with an Italian accent. And, <laughs> and when so, you say back, so you wanted to get down there and, and your husband's from Mexico and give back to whatever local community that you, you eventually settled on. Is that what you mean? Yeah, we were thinking about a couple of things. So the projects that we had in the works. Um, the little village of Telchec Puerto has no um, drainage. This is something you and I have never even talked about, right? Had no drainage. So when it rains there, everything floods. Right. So Joe was running for op, was planning on running for mayor. And the first thing he was going to do is put in the infrastructure for these people. You know, you go down there, you don't want to change it, you, but you want to help. Enhance. Right? Yeah. yeah. You want to help. Now you don't want to come down there. There's a lot of expats that go down there and they complain about everything and they want everything to be like the United States or like Canada. And if you want everything to be like the United States or Canada, don't go. Right. Right. But then there were people like us that actually just loved it. And we love them. There, there's some beautiful people there. As a matter of fact, the night we were attacked, it wasn't the cops who helped us. It was the locals. It wasn't the American expats who helped us. It was our Mexican friends and locals who helped us. So I don't want I don't want this to come across as any way, shape, or form that the people of Mexico are bad. They are not. Their government is, and their police are corrupt. And it's it's going to kill. It's going to end up killing all of their tourism. They're going to chase off good Americans like me, right? And they're killing people. And that's kind of what we're here to talk about. It was uh, you know a dream for many many Americans. I'm going to settle somewhere on the beach. I'm going to maybe live out uh, my years and after all this hard work and have some sun and some sand and some surf. So you and your husband, Joe, you settle on this small, very picturesque town in, in the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. 
and you find what you think is a dream house. So for people who are listening right now, use your words and paint a picture of this house that you finally found and you thought was your dream house. So let me tell you what we found. So we're looking and we're looking and we're looking. Keep in mind, I have three masks, about 600 pounds of dog, right? That's a lot of dog. It's a lot of dogs. So I need a big property. So we found this property that was probably two football fields long. And on this property, it had two houses. It had a main casita and it had a smaller casita, had a giant pool, had a big giant yard. It was all fenced in and it was so remote. The nearest civilization, go shopping, go pick up a carton of milk. I had to drive an hour to go get it. That's how far out we were. It was perfect. To make matters even better, when we called on this house, it was owned by an American. His name was Adam Kowalski. And Adam Kowalski tells us it's a good thing that you called us because a lot of people get ripped off coming down here to Mexico. There's a lot of things you don't hear about. I wish I had listened a little closer to that. So we were thinking, how lucky are we? We found this American who's going to rent us this house and we can look for property and we can can start building down. Is that what, that's what we thought. So we came down and now the pictures of the property and all the amenities it had, you know, they kind of tried to put it out there like it was a first class property. But when we got there and this was after driving nine days. So we loaded those three dogs up into a little Toyota Tacoma. And we drove nine days through Mexico to get to this property. And when we got there, the location was absolutely beautiful. Beachfront, absolutely gorgeous. Everything the guy said it had, it didn't have. So you walk into a property, um, no water, no internet, no air conditioning, right? Um, everything was in disrepair. It was a beach house that you could tell nobody had lived in. So everything had rusted out, all the plumbing. And we looked at each other because we didn't know what to do. I mean, you can't live in this. Yeah, so that begs the question, why not immediately go, you know what, this is not the way you portrayed it online. I'm out of here. We thought the same thing, but we'd just driven nine days. And we didn't know where to turn. So we looked at each other and we said, well, this is going to be a long-term project. Let's fix it. And that's pretty, pretty much what we do. I mean, I was just raised that way. Yeah, just fix it. So we love the lot. We love the fact it was secluded. We love the fact it had all the, the land for the docks. So the big things that we needed to make it happen, we'll put in an RO system. We'll figure out the water. We'll bring in air conditioners. We'll cool the place off. We'll dial in the internet. We'll bring in fiber optics and we'll fix this place. We'll put up paint. We'll replace the plumbing and we'll, we'll make this place home. And that's exactly what we did. Now, when, when you rent in the United States, you kind of know what you're getting into. And, and quite often uh, the, the landlord takes care of those kinds of things. Many times uh, what I've read about when you move to Mexico, you move somewhere in South America to a retirement home. Um, it's much less expensive to live there. There's certain you know tax advantages to living out of the country. Did you come to some kind of term with this guy that you're renting from? Hey, you know, knock off a few bucks on the rent and we'll fix this up for you. Or how did, how did no. you uh, come to terms on that? Not at all. And it doesn't quite work like that. So let me disabuse everybody of this notion that it's less expensive to live down there. Really? Okay. You might pay a little bit less for um, groceries, not paying any less for gas right now. You might even pay a little less on, on rent, rental payments. Where they get you is they have two kinds of prices. They have gringo prices and they have local prices. If you're a gringo, you are a target. You will be ripped off. 
There are all sorts of sites out there that all the, the expats have, scammers in the Yucatan, Yucatan, because you become a target. So they might not get it out of you out of the rent, but they'll come along and they'll say they're putting the air conditioning in and you'll give them 40,000 pesos and he disappears. You never see him again, right? You Everything has to be, and I hate to say this about Mexico, everything has to be nailed down. They will steal anything. I've had cell phones, computers, anything they can get their hands on. And it's just because they're so broke, right? right. So the, the cost that you have to pick up to live down there totally offsets any break that you're going to get on your, your rental payments. And if you want one of those cheap places that you hear about, the two, three, four, five hundred $500 a month places, you're not living anywhere nice. You're not going to have any of the creature comforts that you have here in the United States. You like toilet paper and, and, and toilet seats? Not for 300 bucks a month. You don't get that. Uh, do you like air conditioning? Forget about that. Garbage disposals? Forget about it. Are you good at cleaning ants off the countertops every morning? Because that's going to be the requirement if you want to live the cheap life down there. Now, there's a lot of expats who do that, but then they complain about everything. We didn't want the cheap life. We weren't that. We weren't um, financial refugees, right? It wasn't that we, you know, I, can't, I don't make enough money to live in the United States. We were just li literally, we worked so hard for so many years. We wanted to breathe. We just wanted some breathing room. And we weren't afraid to work for it. So when we got there and the place wasn't what they had said it was, we went to work. And we started fixing up. Now, part of the first lease agreement is, uh, you're right, he agreed to pay for all those upgrade, upgrades. Part of what we were paying for every month, and we were paying $2,200 a month, um, part of what we were paying for also included the grounds maintenance and a housekeeper to come over once a week, and he was going to pay the utilities. Well, after the first 30 days, he wasn't paying anything. Okay? So we just started paying everybody. We actually, I fell in love with these people, right? Um, Betty and Raymond came into the house. They couldn't believe the size of the dogs we had. Armando helped take care of the property. I fell in love with these people and their family. So when Adam wouldn't show up to pay him, we would always pay. So when the lease came up for renewal, Adam's looking around at all of this work we had done. He says, well, I need to charge you guys more rent. The place is nicer. I said, well, that's not going to happen. We'll move. Right? Or what I'll do, Adam, is I'll take over paying everything. I'll pay it all. And I'm going to give you a set amount every month so you're profitable every single month. And I'm going to make sure you're more profitable than you are today. I'm going to give you a raise. And he liked the deal. And then I made it really sexy. I told him I was going to give him a year's rent in advance because this man on top of not paying what he was supposed to be paying would come to me and borrow money. Uh, and I'll just offset it towards your rent. I'll offset it towards your rent. So I'm buying airline tickets and loaning this guy money. And I'm going, we like the place. We just need to get the landlord, more of a landlord instead of looking at us like we're the bank. So when he wanted to renew the lease, that was the deal. I told him, I'll pay for everything. I'll pay your year's rent in advance. Now I have to interject something here. He was married to a Mexican woman named Gabriela Cornelio Ojeda. And he told us this woman is crazy. Don't he said that about his own her. wife. But I've heard too many. Uh, he said that about his own wife. But I've heard a lot of men say that about their wife. All right. Point taken. Right? So, Point taken. Take it with a grain of salt. And I just take it. So, and she'd come by the house and we met her and she didn't seem crazy to me. She was always really nice. And um, she complained a lot that her husband wouldn't, her husband didn't give her any of the money from the rent. Right. And her and I talked one day and I told her, I said, well, if you want to live here, what I'll do is in the second casino, I'll build you a little Airbnb business. And when I move out, you move in 
you take over the Airbnb, you'll have enough money. And in the meantime, I'll take any money that's made off that Airbnb and I'll go ahead and put it into your property. And that's how I was paying for some of the upgrades. All right. So it's win-win. We think we have a win-win situation and everything's working like this. Gets his, his rent advanced. The property is running better than it's ever run. And it actually looks better than it's ever looked. And I think that was part of what was bothering him. So his so wife you set up an Airbnb in like the second property there. The second house. Yeah. There. Two little casitas. And I mean, I was running it out for 80 bucks a day, a day, but that was the stuff that we would take and replace the stuff that Adam wouldn't replace. So like all the plumbing and the infrastructure, all the, shit, the stuff that we weren't going to take that we were going to leave there for. All right. So we think we had, we had all of the construction stuff out on our site. We're getting ready to build. Everything's moving along. We paid our rent a year in advance. We don't think there's a problem. And in November or October was Gabriella, Adam's wife, showed up at the property with a lawyer and his name was Marco Maya. I had no idea who he was. And she walked onto the property and she had 20 men with her. Most of these men we, we recognized because they all worked for Adam. We'd seen these guys around. And she tells us that we're squatters. Huh? We know each other, Gabriella. She says, we've never met. I don't even know you. And this yeah, is yeah. out of the blue. There was no out of the foreshadowing blue. that there was an issue at all. Right. And her lawyer says, you need to get a lawyer here right now. Because the way they settle things in Mexico isn't anything like in, in the States. Well, this is a Saturday. Gabriella, we'll get a lawyer. We'll come down on Monday. We'll bring all the rent payments down. So you can be. She's still insisting she doesn't know us. That we're squatters. We've only lived there for 30 days. All right. And at this days. point, you've been there how long? Five years. Wow. Five years. So the police get there. And her and her lawyer are swearing to the police that we're squatters, that she doesn't know us. And so we get out. Many, how, how many times have you talked to this woman in five Oh, years? my goodness. Half a dozen times. She's been to the house. She's, you know, um, she was an architect. So when she wanted to show somebody things that she had designed, she'd bring them over to the house. I'd bring out the lemonade, right? I, I mean, she knows us. So it's coming out of left field that she doesn't know us. And then she tells us why she's really there. She says, no, you're leaving and I'm taking all of this because what we had done to the property, she was never going to be able to do. So it wasn't just the infrastructure she wanted. She wanted the stereo systems and she wanted all the electronics and she wanted the jewelry. She wanted our safe. She wanted all the furniture. She wanted everything that we had put over there. So the police get there and we get out the lease and we get out all the rental payments to her husband. And she tells the police that she doesn't know her husband. Unknown. And my husband says, Carol, Gabriella, you have two children with this man. And I, you're not going to believe this, Burke. It's got to be in Mexico. She says, I could have two children with a dog for all you know. She's still insisting. Now, the cops aren't quite knowing who to believe. And my husband steps forward and in perfect Spanish, he says to her and to the police, if you don't know who Adam Kowalski is, then tell me why all of his employees are here today. And you can see the cops kind of doing Chinese math in their head. And they're starting to figure out that they're not being told the truth. So they escort her from the property. We had no idea what to do. We'd never seen anything. She literally just came on. She was going to steal everything we own. What do we do? Well, we have to find a lawyer. So we found some lawyers and they come in and they look at the lease. And first thing they tell us is Adam Kowalski isn't the owner of this property. His wife is. He could never legally lease this to you. And that's the scam. 
I'm going to lease you a property. And then the legitimate owner is going to come in, even though we're in cahoots. And that's how we're going to get you out and steal all your stuff. By the way, I'm not the only one this has happened to. All right. So we're thinking, well, the law, we're going to go about this legally. So we hired lawyers. And the first thing we found out that it was only Gabriela Cornelio's name on the property. But Mexico's got this interesting law. They're big on human rights and they believe everybody should have a home. And they have a law that says that if you have lived on a property for five years or better and the owner knows that you are there and has never asked for rent and has never asked you to leave, you have a legal claim to the property. Not that we ever wanted the property, right? This was just something that we found out because we had to hire lawyers to defend ourselves. from this. So they looked at the lease and they said, you know, Adam's not the legitimate owner, right? Um, but you now have a claim on this property. Well, we didn't want the property. We just wanted them to pay for all the damage they did because on that first invasion, when they came in, they destroyed all the infrastructure. They put a big spike right through the electrical box at the front of the house, ripped out all the electric. By the way, the electric company doesn't come out to pay for that. You, you pay for that. They ripped out a $8,000 RO system. All the fresh water for the property was ripped out. They ripped up all the fiber optics and it wasn't just ripping up the fiber optics because we had to bury that stuff. What these guys would do while this whole snafu was going on and all these guys were running around like animals all over the property was they dig up the fiber optics line, cut it, bury it, go up, dig it up, cut it, bury it. So they literally cut our fiber optics in 20 different places and buried the line. Right? Same with our power lines. So the police get there. They finally realize that this woman isn't telling the truth. And they make her leave. And we hire the lawyers. And the first thing they did was they brought a notary over. And a notary in Mexico has the same kind of authority as a judge. And that notary established that we had possession. Now, under Mexican law, you have possession of this, which we needed to establish so we could file a lawsuit against these people for what they had done. Then now, we let filed- me ask you, before you go on there, so... So you are renting this house, these two houses, this whole property compound for five years. You have no interest really in buying the property at any point? No, we've already, we offered to buy it from them. They didn't want to sell it. So it was not a big deal. We bought two other equally as great properties up the beach. We were just going to build on them. So we're going to put a restaurant and some condos on one. And I was going to build a house on the other one. So we bought the property, had to go through all the legalities in Mexico, which is just nothing goes fast there. So we bought the property. We had it cleared. We were waiting on a couple permits because we had all the construction stuff ready to go. We already had plans ready to go. I, we had never had any intention of staying there. Right? I just It was our base while we were building somewhere else. And when so, these, uh, the, the lady Gabriella shows up with the, these henchmen, these thugs, how long are they there? And, and, and what are you doing physically while they're walking around destroying this home that you put all this work into? <laughs> Well, it was funny because the first group that they brought over, because they came twice, the first group they brought over, most of these boys we knew, right? Most of these boys I have fed, right? I have cooked for these boys. I have paid these boys for jobs they did. So you recognize the faces. We recognize the faces, which is why we were able to tell the cops, we know these kids. They all work for Adam. We know these kids. So they were there that first time for about 14 hours. 14 hours it took to go through all this. They finally got escorted off the property. So we bring the notary over to establish that we've been there more than 30 days and that we actually have possession. We bring in a, uh, we file the lawsuit and we get an order of protection so this doesn't happen any longer. 
and we get a restraining order, we will solve this in court because you did $25,000 worth of damage when you came blowing through. And we're going to move out, but you owe us 25K now. So we filed everything. We have everything ready to go. We have the order of protection sitting on the front gate. They showed up on January 19th of this, year. this time of this year, but they didn't bring the same guys with them. They brought 40 guys and these guys were armed to the teeth, machetes, guns. We instantly saw that this was going to be a different thing. And I didn't want the fight. So I thought, and Gabrielle is leading the fight. She's got Marco Maya with her. Now, by the way, let me back up. So Marco Maya, her lawyer, is an interesting cat. As he's being escorted off the property from his first attack, he is screaming at these police. You have no idea who my father is. I had no idea who his father was. You have no idea who my father is. Well, his father happens to be the number two police officer in charge of the Yucatan State Police. His name is Marco Maya Lopez. So on January 19th, Marco Maya Lopez had a few of his cops run protection for these guys. They brought 40 armed men over. They call them a choque gang. Choque literally in Spanish translates to crash group. They came in, they held us hostage for 22 hours. Now, when they first came in and I saw this group and I knew they were there to hurt us, I told Gabriella, I said, this is not necessary. I'm just going to call trucks. I'll get our stuff out of here. We'll be gone. You're not leaving with any of this stuff. This is all mine now. I'm taking everything. Is what and she that was told whole, you. That's what she told me. And that was the whole reason I, she wanted. She, she, uh, I don't think she thought she could rent it if she didn't have all the creature comforts and amenities and furniture there. And she knew that we were going to be moving out here within the next three to six months. You know, it's the term of our lease. And so the money was going to end and we were going to take everything. And I'm, I'm really convinced this was just a, a robbery. But what she did was now Gabrielle Cornelio is related to the number one guy in the Yucatan State Police. And his name is Saiden Ojeda. And so they put their cops at the front of the gate. And they wouldn't let anybody in to help us. And these 40 guys, we barricaded ourselves in the house. And as we were barricading them, the attacks would come in waves. And the sound. And Burke, you've been working with me on this for a long time. It's been a long time since I could even talk about this because it was so traumatized. The sound was not like anything I've ever heard in my life. It was like fireworks going off in the house. I don't know how these kids come back from war. I mean, it was... It was so traumatic and it was so intense and, and there were so many of them and they kept coming in waves and we were barricaded upstairs. And it was a two-story house and the staircase actually had a curve. So you'd come up and it would actually curve around the corner and we were between waves and we were upstairs and they cut off all of our power. We have no air conditioning. It's hot in the house. Um, they've killed one of my animals already. One of my other animals is injured um, and we're trying figure out our way out. And we sat there talking and I, you remember the story about Thermopylae 300? Yep. So we started talking about that, how they took on, cause we couldn't take on 40 of these guys, but we knew we could take them on two at a time. So I said, we got to get them through the narrowest part of the house. We got to be able to funnel them in somewhere. Cause we can take these guys on two at a time. We just can't take them on all 40 at a time. And, and it's that's just you and your husband in the house. Well, you're and, surrounded by the bad guys, right? And we have with us one of our help, Armando, right? Well, one of our other guys, Juan Carlos, had thrown himself over the wall into this field and buried himself in just foliage and garbage and, because they were hunting for him. They knew one of ours had made it out 
So they probably hunted for him till three, four o'clock in the morning. They were over in that field of flashlights. I couldn't figure out what they were looking for. They were looking for Juan Carlos. And Armando and I were in the house and having us talk about 300. And, and okay, we might die tonight. We knew that we might die, but let's see how many of them we can take. All right. We can take them two at a time. So the first thing we did was the whole downstairs is that big Mexican pile. So we covered all the downstairs floors with oil. Every oil we could find in the house, coconut oil, olive oil, canola oil, any oil we had, we, we created a pool of oil that covered the entire floor. And then we started greasing up the stairs, bleach and shampoo and oils, anything we could find to make it slick. And at the top of the stairs, we, we started stacking dressers and nightstands and any furniture we can find, chairs and benches. And then we sat up with a little bit of power we had on our, our phones and we started researching how to make weapons out of household items. I'm going to go MacGyver here. So we started making uh, Molotov cocktails. We got every aerosol can we could get our hands on. We made blow torches. We um, got every heavy thing we could find in the house, big vases, our weight set, right? I had all our weights. And then we got every knife in the house, had everything lined up. Because when that last attack came in, we had these big sliding glass doors and a big shine. Uh, probably 12-foot-long table that sat outside. They came through that window with that table. I mean, the sound was deafening. And we could see them because now they're trying to climb the side of the house, and we can see them on the outside. And we can hear them coming in. And when they hit that oil, the crash that went on, we knew, okay, we might have a chance because we heard them hit. And we could tell they were panicking a little bit because this wasn't going to be as easy as they thought it was going to be. So sure enough, those first two came up the stairs and Armando had a vase probably four foot tall, maybe weighed about 75 pounds. And that, that vase was the first thing we crashed down on. And those two guys right back out. And the next two came up and we got them with blow torches. All right. And they don't like fire. We figured that one out. They didn't like fire. and They wouldn't run it out. Well, I'm not sure what all they were saying, but they were talking about how they couldn't get us, get through us the stairs. So then they started coming over the balconies, right? And Joe was on the balcony and all he had was a stick. And he was like jamming this guy, trying to get him off the balcony. And they're coming up behind him. And Joe's got one phone going, he's screaming. And up at the front are all the townspeople and the cops are holding them back. And they can hear this going on at the house. I mean, it is, it sounds like a war zone. They can hear it. Are you ready for this, Burke? There's a kid in town. His name is Luis. And this boy is, is young. And oh, young. He, he's probably 22, 23. Okay. And he's just, he's got that naivete that comes with not, never been anywhere. But he's got a beautiful faith. And he was scared to death. And we love this boy. And he was scared to death. He knew they were going to kill us. Right. And he stood at the gate and he heard this going on. And over the phone, we could hear this kid yelling at these cops and at these chokies that were at the front. He said, you are, he said, you're demons of Satan. He said, God is watching everything that you people are doing, and you're going to pay the price. He says, and I'm commanding all of you now, in the name of Jesus Christ, you drop your weapons. And they dropped their weapons. They were literally three minutes away from killing us. And the townspeople were able to rush in and save us. Just an amazing story. And I, you know, I visualize, uh, you know, the movies, and the footage we've seen on, on TV about the cartels in Mexico and 
and how they come after Americans with the, the Denzel Washington movie, Man on Fire. And, and I'm sort of picturing this um, in the way you described it. And I'm wondering, were you unable to call the police? You know, what oh, do you no. do as an American when you're in this foreign country and you need help? I'm so, so glad you asked. Are you ready for that? Because let me tell you what's so scary. The scary part wasn't dying, right? I had a feeling they would kill us. But it's what they do to you before they kill you, right? So if you check out some, some of the stories that get out, if they had gotten a hold of us, they would have put us on our knees and they would put our hands behind our heads and they would have put a pliers around a finger and they would have said, give me the pin number of your bank account. And if we didn't answer, give them the right pin number right out of the gate, they would have cut a finger off. And they would have kept cutting fingers off until we gave them access to every account we have and gave them every dime we had. We are calling the embassy. Right? The American embassy. The American embassy is telling us, call the police department. We're telling you guys don't get it. It's the police on our property. We could see the police between the houses walking out with our stuff. Right? We're being robbed by the police. You've got to send help. Our embassy wouldn't send anything. So if you are going to travel to another country, if you are going to go to Mexico, you need to be 100% self-reliant. I mean, think about this, Brooke. I'm in a very unusual and unique position. I was blessed to, to have a company that, that did okay, right? If what had happened to me had happened to 90% of the people out there, they would have never had the wherewithal or the means to get back up. They would have died right there, right? How long because did the it, siege go on with these guys, the police and these cartel guys coming after you? 22 hours. 22 hours. And we came out bloodied. I ended up taking a shot to the head. Joe ended up taking a shot. Armando took a shot. We were beat up. We were bloodied. And uh, and the cops helped them do this. So if, if you're an American and you think you're going to go to Mexico and you're going to have any American right, any of the, of the rights or the freedoms that we take for granted here, you don't. Let me tell you something. That Second Amendment, the right to defend yourself, a gun would have leveled playing field that day. But you're not allowed to defend yourself in Mexico. Supposed to rely on the police, unless, of course, the police want to rob you. And then who do you rely on? Had we not had the wherewithal to fight that off, you and I would be having this conversation this day because when they send in those choke gangs, they don't want witnesses. So they usually put a bounty on the heads of the people in there. There was a bounty placed on our heads that whoever got to us and killed us was going to get paid a little extra, right? It, it's, it's nothing to play around with. And we had no idea this kind of danger existed i would have never gone there had i known how corrupt this place was but they did a really good job advertising the yucatan's cleaning it up it's the safest place no it's not those are lies those are lies promoted and promulgated by the mexican government and their corrupt police and their vicious cartels well it would ruin their tourism trade in that country uh, just as it would in anywhere else if if word got out that american citizens were in danger so 22 hours of the siege with corrupt cops and cartel guys, bad guys. And when the smoke clears and the sun comes up, finally, this goes on for a full day. Can you sort of paint a visual picture of, of, uh, of what this property looks like and where you are and, and your dogs that you love so much and, and all that? Tell me what, what it looked it's gonna like. It's going to be a hard one telling you. So, um, the house was destroyed. The houses were destroyed. There were so many rocks and so much stuff thrown at it. There was, I don't think that there was six inches of the property of the house that didn't have a hole through it. All the windows were broken. Everything 
anything they could get a hold of, they destroyed. If they couldn't get in to get a hold of it, they sat out in the yard and burned in front of us that night. So all night long, they were just burning furniture that they got a hold of, whatever they could get their hands on. When we came out, it looked like a war zone. It looked like a war zone. And the driveway was so long. And we were trying to, and the cops, the crooked, the it was kind of a circle jerk because I wanted these people thrown off and everybody saying, you got to just get out of here. They're going to kill you. And um, they wouldn't let us bring a truck down to get anything. One of our masters had cancer and was dying. Joe was trying to carry the stock up the driveway. We kept dropping her. So we killed her. And uh, Gabrielle Cornelio sat there and just laughed. Just laughed while I was trying to save this animal. It was, whew, that one is hard, Burke. That's a hard one. Um, it was the cruelest, most malevolent, vicious, inhumane thing I've ever seen in my life. Absolute craziness. Let me tell you something. The value system isn't the same out there. And you he got these people starving. Like half those choke, half the chokes they brought probably wouldn't have come out for something like this, but for the fact that they're starving, you know. But um, but had we not been self reliant, we wouldn't have be having this conversation today. We would have never met. They would have killed us. So my advice is, don't go. It is time to cancel Mexico. This is one. This is one too many stories. And, is, and I hate that it had to happen to me, but I'm not the only one that this has happened to, right? I'm not the only one. And it doesn't get out in the press because they kill their journalists. They kill more journalists in Mexico than they kill anywhere else for a non-wartime country. It is That's time. True. There was an article in the Washington Post about that recently. That's right. They, they kill them. They don't want any of this to get out. Because if it gets out, their tourism dies and they make too much money off the tourism. That's where all the cartels are being fed. Because you got to remember, there's a secondary market for the cartels, everybody coming to do their drugs. So it's not just the tourism, but you got the drug money underneath it. So if we want to end this, if we really want to end this, and if you really want to stay safe, you just don't go. What about the tourists, Janet, in your opinion, who uh, fly to an all-inclusive resort in Cancun and they say, oh, well, look, you know, I'm never going to leave the resort property. I'm going to fly there and they're going to take me in and back. Do you feel uh, that that's a safe thing for people to do? Or would you would you ever do it? Would you ever go back into that country? No, I won't go back. And um, the, even the all-inclusives, you know, I never even told you this story, but we have talked. Right. So I tell you, you know, all along this journey of mine, I get signs. I mean, I have this level of naivety that just makes me insane sometimes <laughs> because when I see something that I want or that I love, I can make the right excuses for it. I guess I'm a typical woman. Right. So I was at an all inclusive over on that side and um, I get up early and I called to get coffee one morning and the kid brings it up and boy, he was very, very inappropriate. And I thought about saying something because he said some things that were very, very inappropriate. Want to know where my husband was and asked a couple sexual questions that were completely inappropriate. And I thought about turning the kid in, but I know how hard it was to uh, to get a job here or in Mexico, I should say. So, I, And I told my husband about it. You know, I said, I, I don't know if he was being flirty or if, and I want to cost the kid his job. I, and I was playing it back and forth. Well, the next morning he brought coffee up and he sexually assaulted me. 
I literally had to throw this kid out of the room. So you're not safe. And then let me tell you something. The police got called for that as well. They don't do anything, especially they, they plan on Americans leaving. So they're going to tell you what you want to hear. They might make the kid go to the next state, but nothing is going to happen. Long term. Long term. Nothing's going to happen. Right. So you're not even safe at the all inclusive. So that's the first thing I'm going to say is because they let the criminals into the all inclusive. So the other thing is, if you're watching anything going on in Quintana Roo, Cancun, Playa del Carmen, Tulum, they're killing them at the all inclusive as well. You're not safe there. They just killed some. Uh, Who's the last guy I heard? He was a real estate agent. Killed him in front of his kid at, a, at an all inclusive. Right. You're not safe at an all inclusive. But my point is this, is if you're going to go to an all-inclusive, if that's all you want, you're never going to leave. Why do you have to go to Mexico? Vegas has got better all-inclusives. I mean, you can go to Vegas and you can get service out by Yang, see the world-class show. I mean, and maybe this is just from the experience of having lived outside the country for so long. And I do believe every American should have to go live in another country for, for a year. This is the greatest country. Bar none. Bar none. People have got a better moral system, smarter, brighter, better service, better quality of everything. Um, it's just a whole different society. There, there are such different social norms um, that we have as Americans and they have down in Mexico. And, I, and I'm not disparaging Mexico right, in any way, shape or form, but it's not America. What uh, what do you hope happens at the end of the day with this? Because you obviously not only lost hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stuff, stuff can be replaced, people can't be replaced. What do you want to happen at the end of this? What What's your goal? Well, you know, our governor in uh, the Yucatan, Mauricio de Salvela, is big on saying that we've got the white city there, that he's getting rid of corruption. Well, it's time for Governor de Sal to put his, our villa, to put his money where his mouth is. So the first thing I'm going to do, or we're going to do is yeah, we're working with the embassy here um, in Houston, uh, the Mexican embassy, and we're going to fire off a letter to the governor. And we're going to ask him to get in the way because when we did start this lawsuit and we named these police, our lawyer in Merida was pulled over on the periferico and he was surrounded by cops, not one or two of them, dozens of them. And they held him there for four or five hours and they threatened him. And then two guys from internal or is it a internal affairs showed up in a white pickup truck. And they told him if he went after Marco Maya or his father, or any of these crooked cops, that he was going to disappear. And they scared him to death. So that realizing she can't even bring in lawyers to work for you in Mexico. We realized we had to fight. We have to fight Mexico with our American privileges and rights. So um, we got a hold of the Mexican embassy. We showed them the videos and we showed them the pictures because once you see that, if you saw the videos, you would never go to Mexico. If you saw what they're capable of, you would never go and put yourself into that situation because you have no way to defend yourself. And the Mexican embassy was very upset with us. So they are sending a letter to Governor Villa. At that point, it's incumbent upon Governor Villa to step up and say, these people deserve a day in court. And these police officers do have to respond to questioning. Because if that happens, you're never going to make right what took place. But if we could put Adam Kowalski and Gabriella 
Cornelia Ojeda out of business. So at least those two scam artists can never do this to anybody else. Get our money back and then hold these police officers accountable. I don't think it's gonna solve the entire situation, but it's a giant step in the right direction. Now, if they don't clean it up, their, their option isn't that great. I mean, they're looking at destroying tens of millions of dollars of tourism by letting this stuff go on. Because nobody's gonna wanna go there. As beautiful as it is, as clean as the water is in the snow taste, how amazing these pyramids are, how great the salbutes are with tequila on a summer afternoon. All of that goes away when somebody holds a machete to your throat. And that's exactly what happened to you and your husband, Joe. It's good to have you back in the U.S. and glad you're safe and sound. And good luck in fighting the good fight. Oh, I couldn't do it without you, Burke. I mean, for everybody who doesn't know this man, he is you are just aces. You are incredible. You are a good man. And I'm so glad I met you. Well, thank you for the kind words and stay safe. And uh, let's stay on this side of the border. You got it, my friend. I'll see you for tacos on your side of town. That's Janet Sanders with an incredible harrowing story about uh, life in Mexico and a cautionary tale for you if you're thinking about traveling down there on a vacation or just to get away. Thank you so much for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast. Thank you to our show sponsor, Speaker Match. And most of all, thank you for listening and letting us be a part of your day. Wherever you go, whatever you do, make it a great day. Bye, everybody.